Among humanity, the social spirit that prevails among men of goodwill is the spirit of liberty. Liberty cannot be located when people do not know where to find it. As such, liberty seems hard to come by in the absence of democracy. So, how can we make democracy work for the good of the people? It is on that note, I welcome you to this special program. In this edition, we'll look at making democracy work. My name is Princess Aboraro, your narrator. As a popular Western political system, most countries of the world have adopted democracy as their sole political model. This arises from the positive values associated with democracy. However, social engineers have maintained that the mere pronouncement of democracy may appear hypocritical without adherence to the practice of the tenets of the system. No wonder, a foremost academic and former director, Kenyan School of Laws, Nairobi, Professor Patrice Lumumba, is worried of the Western narrow concept of democracy. The conceptual West convinced us that our salvation could only come from something they call democracy. And I'm using the word very deliberately, something they call democracy, which they define. And they defined it in English, if you are colonized by the English. And they defined it in French, if you are colonized by the French. And they defined it in Portuguese, if you are colonized by the Portuguese. And they defined it in Spanish, if you are colonized by the Spaniard. We never defined it in Kinyarwanda. No. It was never defined in Igbo or Yoruba. And we were told after the collapse of the Soviet Union that democracy was equals to one, multi-party politics, two, periodic elections, three, limitation of terms of the presidency. That is how the conceptual West defined it for us. We are not talking about anything that is African. The political party is not African. It is something that we inherited. African nations have succeeded thus far in working with diversity in very unique circumstances where the conceptual West, despite their protestation to the contrary, are always interfering in our affairs in a very subtle manner. When we are holding election, they will deny. But there is a way in which they are always moving in a subterranean fashion. Because the thesis still is that you divide them in order to rule them. Well, as a country molded by the West, Nigeria has also come a long way with democracy. According to records, Nigeria's first democratic experience came in 1922, under the Clifford Constitution during the British colonial rule. This led to the introduction of the elective principle by the Clifford Constitution, which paved way for the election of Nigerians into the Legislative Council of the Southern Colony. In the 1959 elections held in preparations for independence, the Northern People's Congress, NPC, captured 134 seats in the 312-seat parliament. The National Council of Nigerian Citizens, NCNC, 89 seats in the federal parliament. Consequently, 
Nigeria officially became a democracy when she attained independence from Britain on October 1, 1960. Despite the takeoff of the young independent Nigeria on a democratic footing, democracy under the First Republic quickly deteriorated. There were inter-ethnic violence in 1966, bloody military coup. Recounting the early years of turbulent political winds in Nigeria, which puts Nigerian democracy far asunder, a former military president, General Ibrahim Bamangida, who was a young military officer in the Nigerian army then, would not like the situation to occur in the country again. There were some civil disturbances, which began to manifest itself at that time. Immediately after independence, elections were not going properly, riots in various parts of the country. This culminated into the civil war. And uh, so the leadership at that time believed very strongly that nothing should be done to break the unity of the country. And we were all brought up and trained to believe that we should be able to defend that the integrity of the country. While wishing for peace and democracy, a brief window was opened. Democracy quietly sneaked into Nigeria in the year 1979 which saw the Second Republic election with Alhaji Shehu Shagari elected as the first democratically elected executive president of Nigeria. His government was, however, overthrown by General Muhammadu Buhari. Next was a series of military political incursions in the Nigerian body politics. General Muhammadu Buhari was overthrown by General Ibrahim Bamangida in a palace coup and promised transition from military rule by 1990, but then stayed in power until 1993, when he annulled the presidential election, conducted on June 12, 1993, which was presumed to have been won by Chief Moshud Kashimao Olawale Abiola, popularly known as MKO Abiola. Chief Abiola wanted to claim what he saw as his deprived mandate. Assuming there was good faith on the part of government, all matters relating to the election should have gone to the tribunal set up by law for such cases and should only have been initiated by persons or bodies that had genuine interest in the election. Instead, we are being told that the judiciary behaves so badly that I, Mashur Kashima Walawale Abiola, should be penalized for his conduct. In view of all this, I find the conclusion that the federal military government is guilty of bad faith, pure and simple. The people of this country went to polls on Saturday, June 12, 1993, and without let or hindrance, chose me as their president. Didn't they? That claim led to his arrest and detention by the military regime of General Sani Abacha, who had earlier chased away the interim national government of Chief Ernest Shonikon, which was put in place by General Babangida when he was forced to step aside. In a twist of events, General Sani Abacha and Chief MKO Abiola died. The death of Chief M.K. Abiola presented a gloomy picture of democracy in Nigeria. General Abdeslami Abubakaro then took over. Next was a short transition program to civil rule led by General Abdeslami Abubakaro. With elections held in April 1999, former military ruler Olusha Gunobasanjo was elected president on the platform of the People's Democratic Party. I, Olusegun Obasanjo, do solemnly swear 
that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to the Federal Republic of Nigeria. So help me God. Other democratic administrations have been recorded since 1999. These were Omar Musaya Adua, Dr. Goodluck Ibele Jonathan, and Muhammad Buhari. The former president, Muhammad Buhari, had accorded recognition of June 12 as he apologized on behalf of the federal government to the family of late Chief M.K. Abiola. On behalf of the federal government, I tender the nation's apology to the family of late MKO Abiola, who got the highest vote and to those that lost their loved ones in the cause of June 12 struggle. As such, June 12 has now become Democracy Day in Nigeria. President Bola Ahmed Tinubu who was declared winner of the 2023 presidential election, was subsequently sworn in on May 29, 2023, as the 16th president of Nigeria. I, Bola Hamed Tinubu, do solemnly swear that we have been faithful and bear through allegiance to the Federal Republic of Nigeria, that as president of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, I will discharge my duties and perform my functions honestly to the best of my ability and faithfully in accordance with the constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria and the law that I will abide by the code of conduct containing the fifth schedule to the constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria that I will not allow my personal interest to influence my official conduct or my official decision that I will preserve, protect, and defend the constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. So, help me go. With another democratic transition since 1999, the people have been having high expectations. Many believed that a democratic government in Nigeria would provide everything. Others thought that the country's struggling economy would finally improve. However, today, the average Nigerian encounters a number of challenges such as insecurity, unemployment, increased level of poverty, corruption, and injustice in the distribution of the nation's resources, thereby creating disunity among the divergent ethnic nationalities. This is where concerns are being expressed as to whether democracy is truly working in Nigeria up to expectations. Leaders of thoughts have been looking at the negative drawbacks against national stability where democracy cannot function effectively. Mr. Uhuru Kenyatta is the former president of Kenya. We can drill down to what I feel and believe are the three fundamental issues that are so easily weaponized to the detriment of our democratic growth. The first of these is negative ethnicity or tribalism, followed by religion, and lastly, economic greed. When you look deeply at the crux of most of our conflicts within our continent, we are either fighting for ethnic or sub-ethnic superiority of one community at the expense of others, or we are propagating divisive narratives that have their origins in religious differences or sectarianism. We know for a fact that some of these elements I have mentioned remain a clear 
and present danger for the future of Nigeria. The administration has a unique opportunity to use this inflection point brought about by a peaceful and orderly transition to take stock of what sort of future it wants for the people of this country and for the future of this nation. In the face of such challenges in handling diversities, Mr. Uhuru further advised leaders to directly engage the oppositions in a positive way to win their heart as a way to make democracy work. I encourage you to surround yourself with the voices of those who will counterbalance the hardliners that feel entitled to a piece of your office. You will lose nothing and gain everything by reaching out across the political, ethnic, and religious lines to those who may feel aggrieved by your victory in one way or another, please allow them to exhale and be part of your vision for a greater Nigeria. As an essential element of democratic governance, experts often canvass for tolerance and the inclusion of people with diverse interests and backgrounds in the scheme of things. This is where the quality of the leader in position is a determinant factor. Al-Hadis Adobakar, the Sultan of Sokoto, and the President General, Nigeria's Supreme Council for Islamic Affairs. It's what we have been working on the last 16 years as co-chairman of NAREC, together with the President of Khan for religious tolerance and understanding in this great country, Nigeria. We all know why we have democracy. And we call democracy a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And such democracy we are supposed to have is to ensure development, peace and stability of our people. Without peace and stability, there's no democracy. And you can't have democracy when you don't have good leaders to practice that democracy. No society can rise above its leaders. In other words, it is the quality of leaders which determines and pegs the quality of society. Furthermore, drawing from intellectual heritage, the Sultan of Sokoto reminded leaders on their divine connection as regards public accountability and the reward arising from their leadership disposition. As Sultan Muhammad Dello said, leaders are like a spring of water and all our officials are like water wheels. If the spring is pure, the fields in the water wheels cannot harm it. If, on the other hand, the spring is polluted and dirty, the purity of the water wheels that we used to draw the water will have little or no effect on the purity of the water. Leaders still need to be very careful in the appointment of officials. And Sheikh Osman bin Fodio said, the first support is on upright wazir, that is a prime minister, a deputy, who wakes him up if he sleeps, give him sight if he cannot see, and remind him if he forgets. The greatest catastrophe which can befall leaders and people is to be deprived of good wazirs or ministers. The most important qualifying attribute of the wazir is to be of trustworthy conduct, perceptive in the affairs of the common people, to tell the truth and must not withhold good advice from the leader. Mohamed Bello has a piece of advice to these officials in his Usul Sias, in one of his very famous books, where he wrote, the happiest leader is he whose subjects are happy with him, and the most unfortunate leader is he whose subjects are miserable under him. So beware of injustice, for your workers are imitating you. If you commit injustice, you will be like the animal in a green pasture, which eats so much that it becomes so fat 
and that fatness is the cause of its destruction as it will be slaughtered and eaten, unquote. Leaders need to understand those things that are necessary for a state to survive and those that are capable of destroying polities. On this, Sheikh Ahmad Afodio wrote, one of the swiftest ways of destroying a state is to give preference to one particular tribe over another or to show favor to one group over the other and draw near those who should be kept away and keep away those who should be brought near you. A ruler was asked when he had lost his throne, what brought your rule to an end? He replied, being intransigent and neglecting to seek advice. I want to draw attention of our governors, presidents, and other leaders on the intellectual heritage which we have been talking about for centuries, which I hope our elected officials will reflect on and find use as they undertake the onerous task of children with the affairs of the state. I should also draw your attention to levels of poverty and ignorance in the land only made worse by the rising population of this country, which is estimated by the United Nations to be well over 400 million, which will be Nigeria, the third country in the world after India and China. As political leaders, you need not only think of the next election, and more importantly, think of the next generation. Now, if leaders would take it as a point of duty to make democracy work by impacting the lives of the people, opinion leaders believe that it will make Nigerian diversity to become a weapon of strength rather than a weapon for division. This is where leaders need proper skills to manage diversity. Bishop Hassan Kuka, the Bishop Sokoto Catholic Diocese, sounds in this perspective. As Nigerians, everybody knows that we are better together. But the first question to ask is, who are we? If you live in Nigeria, all of us know. I don't believe there is a religious problem. But somehow, the Western media, the Nigerian media, and the political elite have assumed the fact that there is a conflict between religions. There is absolutely no conflict between religions. I say to people, assuming, for example, we all have knives in our houses. Assuming you come back from work and your wife is in the kitchen, and uh, she comes to welcome you with a knife in her back with which she's been slicing onions. You will have no problem entering the house. But if you had a fight with your wife before you left the house, she comes back and knocks on the door, and you see your wife with a knife. Knives by themselves are not a problem. It's what you do with them. In the same way, identities are not a problem. It's how you activate those identities and what you do with them. Religion has been turned into a weapon. And it's a weapon of choice for politics and politicians. The danger with being captured by politicians, Section 10 of the Constitution talks about the fact that the state should not adopt religion as a state religion. But we know that the reality is completely different. Now, will I be walking around Nigeria and people say to me, we worry about you being in Sokoto. You know, Nigeria is a complex country of great possibilities, great contradictions, about which we will not be in this crisis. So going forward, is to address the issue, the meeting point between religion and politics. For us as Christians and as Muslims, we must understand we are first of all citizens of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, who just happen to be Christians or Muslims. We could be anything else. And our inability to appreciate those differences also is directly related to the way the political class has continued to treat us. Let me put it that way. Because if you are not able to manage diversity well, People have gotten out their pens and their pencils. 
When you call out ministers, everybody is looking at who is from my village, who is from my town. Because, no thanks, we have come to associate opportunity, privilege with having your own person in power. Managing diversity is a science. No country, no business, no family, no organization has a future if you don't figure out how to manage diversity. This is where inclusiveness is highly needed as a leadership style. Again, Bishop Kuka. Managing diversity and managing differences is not about religious leaders talking together. It is about whether the state can create the kind of infrastructure, the guardrails, that can help Nigerians move as citizens of their country. So I hope that going forward, how do you manage victory? How do you mutate from being a politician who was contesting election to being a politician who has won election? Very often, and what is clear to us in Africa, why religion, why ethnicity, why all these things continue to injure our country? And we can see what power has been. Therefore, it is our turn to continue with the things of, that other people have done, privilege their community, privilege their... So it, we cannot grow a country like this. We will remain volatile. Let us create an environment in which all of us can compete. And we will win according to our energy and our speed. Nigeria must heal. But we also must have the courage to identify the scars, the wounds, the injuries. The worst thing that can happen to us is to pretend that everything is okay because everything is not okay. We have so many of our citizens who have lost their lives. We have so many of our citizens who are still in captivity. Now, as a key driver to sustained democratic viability in Nigeria, the people need to be fully secured. This is where experts in the field of development are often worried. Dr. Amina Mohammed, a former Minister of Environment, is now the Deputy Secretary General, United Nations Organization, UNO. Nigeria itself faces a myriad of security challenges across various regions. Intercommunal tensions, farmer herder conflicts, organized armed conflict and terrorism continue to threaten the northern and middle belt regions, while separatist agitation and the militancy menace in the southeast and south-south are a challenge. These security challenges impede progress and development in various sectors. And I commend the government of Nigeria and its armed forces for its national and sub-regional efforts to address these complex challenges. This is a moment for us to come together, united in our determination to address these multifaceted challenges. Just like other opinion leaders, Dr. Amina Mohammed advocated inclusiveness as a leadership style. In practice, this means inclusive, people-centered development solutions that address grievances, consolidate peace dividends, and build resilient communities where justice and dignity are our watchwords. It means leaving no one behind. It means delivering more under the United Nations Agenda 2030 and the Sustainable Development Goals, and the African Union's Agenda 2063, which provide a framing for investing in the nexus. By creating decent jobs, particularly for youth and women, we empower individuals to live dignified lives and reduce the risk of social unrest and strengthen social cohesion. By bridging the digital divide and investing in new technology, we enable connectivity, drive economic growth and create new possibilities for working together. When every key segment of Nigeria will feel the positive impacts of democracy, the country will be on the verge of economic growth, national unity and cohesion.
This will no doubt become a renewed hope for Nigerians who have long been deprived of democratic dividends. This sort of feeling often calls for celebration, the celebration of inclusivity, tolerance, progress, national pride, and national unity. This will be the kind of celebration where Yemi Aladi and Angeli Kijo can come along with Shekere and Talking Drum. Yemi Aladi and Angeli Kijo there. Well, listener, it is on that note we end this edition of the program Making Democracy Work. Thank you so much for listening and to the production team coordinated by Husina Akila. The executive producer has been Msushima Ki. The studio manager has been Joshua Floyd. The program was produced by Ondohemba Oyi. My name is Princess Aboraro. Bye for now.
Among humanity, the social spirit that prevails among men of goodwill is the spirit of liberty. Liberty cannot be located when people do not know where to find it. As such, liberty seems hard to come by in the absence of democracy. So, how can we make democracy work for the good of the people? It is on that note, I welcome you to this special program. In this edition, we'll look at making democracy work. My name is Princess Moraro, your narrator. As a popular Western political system, most countries of the world have adopted democracy as their sole political model. This arises from the positive values associated with democracy. However, social engineers have maintained that the mere pronouncement of democracy may appear hypocritical without adherence to the practice of the tenets of the system. No wonder, a foremost academic and former director, Kenyan School of Laws, Nairobi, Professor Patrice Lumumba, is worried of the Western narrow concept of democracy. The conceptual West convinced us that our salvation could only come from something they call democracy. And I'm using the word very deliberately, something they call democracy, which they define. And they defined it in English, if you are colonized by the English. And they defined it in French, if you are colonized by the French. And they defined it in Portuguese, if you are colonized by the Portuguese. And they defined it in Spanish, if you are colonized by the Spaniard. We never defined it in Kinyarwanda. No. It was never defined in Igbo or Yoruba. And we were told after the collapse of the Soviet Union that democracy was equals to one, multi-party politics, two, periodic elections, three, limitation of terms of the presidency. That is how the conceptual West defined it for us. We are not talking about anything that is African. The political party is not African. It is something that we inherited. African nations have succeeded thus far in working with diversity in very unique circumstances where the conceptual West, despite their protestation to the contrary, are always interfering in our affairs in a very subtle manner. When we are holding election, they will deny. But there is a way in which they are always moving in a subterranean fashion. Because the thesis still is that you divide them in order to rule them. Well, as a country molded by the West, Nigeria has also come a long way with democracy. According to records, Nigeria's first democratic experience came in 1922, under the Clifford Constitution during the British colonial rule. This led to the introduction of the elective principle by the Clifford Constitution, which paved way for the election of Nigerians into the Legislative Council of the Southern Colony. In the 1959 elections held in preparations for independence, the Northern People's Congress, NPC, captured 134 seats in the 312-seat parliament. The National Council of Nigerian Citizens, NCNC, 89 seats in the federal parliament. Consequently, 
Nigeria officially became a democracy when she attained independence from Britain on October 1, 1960. Despite the takeoff of the young independent Nigeria on the democratic footing, democracy under the First Republic quickly deteriorated. There were inter-ethnic violence in 1966, bloody military coup. Recounting the early years of turbulent political winds in Nigeria, which puts Nigerian democracy far asunder, a former military president, General Ibrahim Bamangida, who was a young military officer in the Nigerian army then, would not like the situation to occur in the country again. There were some civil disturbances, which began to manifest itself at that time. Immediately after independence, elections were not going properly, riots in various parts of the country. This culminated into the civil war. And uh, so the leadership at that time believed very strongly that nothing should be done to break the unity of the country. And we were all brought up and trained to believe that we should be able to defend that the integrity of the country. While wishing for peace and democracy, a brief window was opened. Democracy quietly sneaked into Nigeria in the year 1979, which saw the Second Republic election with Alhaji Shagari elected as the first democratically elected executive president of Nigeria. His government was, however, overthrown by General Muhammadu Buhari. Next was a series of military political incursions in the Nigerian body politics. General Muhammadu Buhari was overthrown by General Ibrahim Bamangida in a palace coup and promised transition from military rule by 1990, but then stayed in power until 1993 when he announced the presidential election conducted on June 12, 1993, which was presumed to have been won by Chief Moshud Kashimao Olawale Abiola, popularly known as MKO Abiola. Chief Abiola wanted to claim what he saw as his deprived mandate. Assuming there was good faith on the part of government, all matters relating to the election should have gone to the tribunal set up by law for such cases and should only have been initiated by persons or bodies that had genuine interest in the election. Instead, we are being told that the judiciary behaves so badly that I, Mashur Kashima Walawale Abiola, should be penalized for his conduct. In view of all this, I find the conclusion that the federal military government is guilty of bad faith, pure and simple. The people of this country went to polls on Saturday, June 12, 1993, and without let or hindrance, chose me as their president. Didn't they? That claim led to his arrest and detention by the military regime of General Sani Abacha, who had earlier chased away the interim national government of Chief Ernest Shonikon, which was put in place by General Babangida when he was forced to step aside. In a twist of events, General Sani Abacha and Chief MKO Abiola died. The death of Chief M.K. Abiola presented a gloomy picture of democracy in Nigeria. General Abdeslami Abubakaro then took over. Next was a short transition program to civil rule led by General Abdeslami Abubakaro. With elections held in April 1999, former military ruler Olusha Gunobasanjo 
was elected president on the platform of the People's Democratic Party. I, Olusegun Obasanjo, do solemnly swear that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to the Federal Republic of Nigeria. So help me God. Other democratic administrations have been recorded since 1999. These were Omar Musaya Adua, Dr. Goodluck Ebele Jonathan, and Muhammad Buhari. The former president, Muhammad Buhari, had accorded recognition of June 12 as he apologized on behalf of the federal government to the family of late Chief M.K. Abiola. On behalf of the federal government, I tender the nation's apology to the family of late MKO Abiola, who got the highest vote and to those that lost their loved ones in the cause of June 12 struggle. As such, June 12 has now become Democracy Day in Nigeria. President Bola Ahmed Tinubu who was declared winner of the 2023 presidential election, was subsequently sworn in on May 29, 2023, as the 16th president of Nigeria. I, Bola Hamed Chinubu, do solemnly swear that we have been faithful and bear through allegiance to the Federal Republic of Nigeria, that as president of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, I will discharge my duties and perform my functions honestly to the best of my ability and faithfully in accordance with the constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria and the law that I will abide by the code of conduct containing the fifth schedule to the constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria that I will not allow my personal interest to influence my official conduct or my official decision. That I will preserve, protect, and defend the constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. So, help me go. With another democratic transition since 1999, the people have been having high expectations. Many believed that a democratic government in Nigeria would provide everything. Others thought that the country's struggling economy would finally improve. However, today, the average Nigerian encounters a number of challenges such as insecurity, unemployment, increased level of poverty, corruption, and injustice in the distribution of the nation's resources, thereby creating disunity among the divergent ethnic nationalities. This is where concerns are being expressed as to whether democracy is truly working in Nigeria up to expectations. Leaders of thoughts have been looking at the negative drawbacks against national stability where democracy cannot function effectively. Mr. Uhuru Kenyatta is the former president of Kenya. We can drill down to what I feel and believe are the three fundamental issues that are so easily weaponized to the detriment of our democratic growth. The first of these is negative ethnicity or tribalism, followed by religion, and lastly, economic greed. When you look deeply at the crux of most of our conflicts within our continent, we are either fighting for ethnic or sub-ethnic superiority of one community at the expense of others, or we are propagating divisive narratives that have their origins 
in religious differences or sectarianism. We know for a fact that some of these elements I have mentioned remain a clear and present danger for the future of Nigeria. The administration has a unique opportunity to use this inflection point brought about by a peaceful and orderly transition to take stock of what sort of future it wants for the people of this country and for the future of this nation. In the face of such challenges in handling diversities, Mr. Uhuru further advised leaders to directly engage the oppositions in a positive way to win their heart as a way to make democracy work. I encourage you to surround yourself with the voices of those who will counterbalance the hardliners that feel entitled to a piece of your office. You will lose nothing and gain everything by reaching out across the political, ethnic, and religious lines to those who may feel aggrieved by your victory in one way or another. Please allow them to exhale and be part of your vision for a greater Nigeria. As an essential element of democratic governance, experts often canvass for tolerance and the inclusion of people with diverse interests and backgrounds in the scheme of things. This is where the quality of the leader in position is a determinant factor. Al-Hadis Adobakar, the Sultan of Sokoto, and the President General, Nigeria's Supreme Council for Islamic Affairs. It's what we have been working on the last 16 years as co-chairman of NAREC, together with the President of Khan for religious tolerance and understanding in this great country, Nigeria. We all know why we have democracy. And we call democracy a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And such democracy we are supposed to have is to ensure development, peace and stability of our people. Without peace and stability, there's no democracy. And you can't have democracy when you don't have good leaders to practice that democracy. No society can rise above its leaders. In other words, it is the quality of leaders which determines and pegs the quality of society. Furthermore, Drawing from intellectual heritage, the Sultan of Sokoto reminded leaders on their divine connection as regards public accountability and the reward arising from their leadership disposition. As Sultan Muhammad Dello said, leaders are like a spring of water and all our officials are like water wheels. If the spring is pure, the fields in the water wheels cannot harm it. If, on the other hand, the spring is polluted and dirty, the purity of the water wheels that have been used to draw the water will have little or no effect on the purity of the water. Leaders still need to be very careful in the appointment of officials. And Sheikh Osman bin Fodio said, the first support is on upright wazir, that is a prime minister, a deputy, who wakes him up if he sleeps, give him sight if he cannot see, and remind him if he forgets. The greatest catastrophe which can befall leaders and people is to be deprived of good wazirs or ministers. The most important qualifying attribute of the wazir is to be of trustworthy conduct, perceptive in the affairs of the common people, to tell the truth and must not withhold good advice from the leader. Mohamed Bello has a piece of advice to these officials in his usul says in one of his very famous books, where he wrote, the happiest leader is he whose subjects are happy with him, and the most unfortunate leader is he whose subjects are miserable under him. So beware of injustice, 
for your workers are imitating you. If you commit injustice, you will be like the animal in a green pasture, which eats so much that it becomes so fat, and that fatness is the cause of its destruction, as it will be slaughtered and eaten, unquote. Leaders need to understand those things that are necessary for a state to survive, and those that are capable of destroying polities. On this, Sheikh Ahmad Afodio wrote, one of the swiftest ways of destroying a state is to give preference to one particular tribe over another, or to show favor to one group over the other, and draw near those who should be kept away, and keep away those who should be brought near you. A ruler was asked when he had lost his throne, what brought your rule to an end? He replied, being intransigent and neglecting to seek advice. I want to draw attention of our governors, presidents, and other leaders on the intellectual heritage which we have been talking about for centuries, which I hope our elected officials will reflect on and find use as they undertake the onerous task of children with the affairs of the state. I should also draw your attention to levels of poverty and ignorance in the land only made worse by the rising population of this country, which is estimated by the United Nations to be well over 400 million, which will be Nigeria, the third country in the world after India and China. As political leaders, you need not only think of the next election, and more importantly, think of the next generation. Now, if leaders would take it as a point of duty to make democracy work by impacting the lives of the people, opinion leaders believe that it will make Nigerian diversity to become a weapon of strength rather than a weapon for division. This is where leaders need proper skills to manage diversity. Bishop Hassan Kuka, the Bishop Sokoto Catholic Diocese, sounds in this perspective. As Nigerians, everybody knows that we are better together. But the first question to ask is, who are we? If you live in Nigeria, all of us know. I don't believe there is a religious problem. But somehow, the Western media, the Nigerian media, and the political elite have assumed the fact that there is a conflict between religions. There is absolutely no conflict between religions. I say to people, assuming, for example, we all have knives in our houses. Assuming you come back from work and your wife is in the kitchen, and uh, she comes to welcome you with a knife in her back with which she's been slicing onions. You will have no problem entering the house. But if you had a fight with your wife before you left the house, she comes back and knocks on the door, and you see your wife with a knife. Knives by themselves are not a problem. It's what you do with them. In the same way, identities are not a problem. It's how you activate those identities and what you do with them. Religion has been turned into a weapon. And it's a weapon of choice for politics and politicians. The danger with being captured by politicians, Section 10 of the Constitution talks about the fact that the state should not adopt religion as a state religion. But we know that the reality is completely different. Now, will I be walking around Nigeria and people say to me, we worry about you being in Sokoto. You know, Nigeria is a complex country of great possibilities, great contradictions, about which we will not be in this crisis. So going forward, is to address the issue, the meeting point between religion and politics. For us as Christians and as Muslims, we must understand we are first of all citizens of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, who just happen to be Christians or Muslims. We could be anything else. And our inability to appreciate those differences 
also is directly related to the way the political class has continued to treat us. Let me put it that way. Because if you are not able to manage diversity well, people have gotten out their pens and their pencils. When you call out ministers, everybody is looking at who is from my village, who is from my town. Because, no thanks, we have come to associate opportunity, privilege, with having your own person in power. Managing diversity is a science. No country, no business, no family, no organization has a future if you don't figure out how to manage diversity. This is where inclusiveness is highly needed as a leadership style. Again, Bishop Kuka. Managing diversity and managing differences is not about religious leaders talking together. It is about whether the state can create the kind of infrastructure, the guardrails, can help Nigerians move as citizens of their country. So I hope that going forward, how do you manage victory? How do you mutate from being a politician who was contesting election to being a politician who has won election? Very often, and what is clear to us in Africa, why religion, why ethnicity, why all these things continue to injure our country? And we can see what power has been. Therefore, it is our turn to continue with the things of, that other people have done, privilege their community, privilege their... So it, we cannot grow a country like this. We will remain volatile. Let us create an environment in which all of us can compete. And we will win according to our energy and our speed. Nigeria must heal. But we also must have the courage to identify the scars, the wounds, the injuries. The worst thing that can happen to us is to pretend that everything is okay because everything is not okay. We have so many of our citizens who have lost their lives. We have so many of our citizens who are still in captivity. Now, as a key driver to sustained democratic viability in Nigeria, the people need to be fully secured. This is where experts in the field of development are often worried. Dr. Amina Mohammed, a former Minister of Environment, is now the Deputy Secretary General, United Nations Organization, UNO. Nigeria itself faces a myriad of security challenges across various regions. Intercommunal tensions, farmer herder conflicts, organized armed conflict and terrorism continue to threaten the northern and middle belt regions, while separatist agitation and the militancy menace in the southeast and south-south are a challenge. These security challenges impede progress and development in various sectors. And I commend the government of Nigeria and its armed forces for its national and sub-regional efforts to address these complex challenges. This is a moment for us to come together, united in our determination to address these multifaceted challenges. Just like other opinion leaders, Dr. Amina Mohammed advocated inclusiveness as a leadership style. In practice, this means inclusive, people-centered development solutions that address grievances, consolidate peace dividends, and build resilient communities where justice and dignity are our watchwords. It means leaving no one behind. It means delivering more under the United Nations Agenda 2030 and the Sustainable Development Goals, and the African Union's Agenda 2063, which provide a framing for investing in the nexus. By creating decent jobs, particularly for youth and women, we empower individuals to live dignified lives and reduce the risk of social unrest and strengthen social cohesion. By bridging the digital divide and investing in new technology, 
we enable connectivity, drive economic growth and create new possibilities for working together. When every key segment of Nigeria will feel the positive impacts of democracy, the country will be on the verge of economic growth, national unity and cohesion. This will no doubt become a renewed hope for Nigerians who have long been deprived of democratic dividends. This sort of feeling often calls for celebration, the celebration of inclusivity, tolerance, progress, national pride and national unity. This will be the kind of celebration where Yemi Aladi and Angeli Kijo can come along with Shekere and Tokindrom. Yemi Aladi and Angeli Kijo there. Well, listener, it is on that note we end this edition of the program Making Democracy Work. Thank you so much for listening and to the production team coordinated by Husina Akila. The executive producer has been Msushima Ki. The studio manager has been Joshua Floyd. The program was produced by Ondohemba Oyin. My name is Princess Aboraro. Bye for now.